Good morning, church. Uh, today we have the privilege of hearing my friend Ted Cunningham uh, come and preach and share the Word of God today. I, I don't know what else to tell you about Ted. He's been here many times. Uh, I I've told you everything I know to say about him. You may not know that I did lead him to Jesus and I did teach him to read. Uh, and uh, he's still my most exhausting friend. But today, I want you to know God has anointed him. He's a gifted communicator, pastor, and uh, teacher of the Word of God, and author. And so today, I want you to put your hands together and welcome our friend Ted Cunningham to the stage. All right. How's everyone doing? Well, greetings from Branson, Missouri. How many of you have made a trip to Branson so far this summer? Let me see your hands. Way to go. We'd love to see the rest of you to come and spend lots of money. But greetings from Battle Creek East. That's what we call our church in Branson. Because when I'm here, this is Woodland Hills West. So uh, Alex preached at our church on Memorial Day, and our church is still talking about it. I've corrected all the doctrinal issues <laughs> that were laid out as he came for the very first time and preached on Rahab. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, Alex is like a brother. We fight like brothers. Uh, every time he calls me, I feel as though I'm on staff here and I have a list of things I'm supposed to do after the phone call. And I every now and then have to remind him, technically, I don't work for you. Uh, you may be able to talk to other people this way, uh, but you can't talk to me this way, but I'll get, get right on it. So, I feel so sorry for your staff uh, here at this church. You know why? Because they're exhausted. That's exactly right. They are exhausted. So I hope, do you appreciate your staff here at this church? That, I'll just be honest with you, that started off slow. I'm going to ask again, do you appreciate your staff here? All right. All right. Do you love your pastor? Does he exhaust you at times? Okay, all right. Hey, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're talking about the church today. The church is living stones. And so uh, we're going to, we're basically going to talk, like, it's like church 101 today. How many of you, let me just see a show of hands. You grew up in the church. Let me see them. Okay, how many of you came to the church and you placed faith in Jesus as an adult? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you, even though as a child you raise your hand, I placed faith in Jesus as an adult, but I, I, uh, you know, went to a church at some point when I was a kid, but just never was really plugged into one. Let me see your hands. Okay, well, everyone, especially in this area, probably can relate to that small church, which is where I started in ministry. I, I grew up in an independent Baptist church. I've had a lot of therapy on that one, and I've gotten over all of that uh, baggage uh, that still impacts me to this day. But then I, I went right out of college at 22 years old, uh, my friend Austin Deloach, who's actually the guy who introduced Amy and I, he said, why don't you come down and be my associate pastor? And at the time, Austin at Southside Baptist Church was running about 50 people, to which I asked the obvious question, what will I be associating? 50 people. I think you should be able to handle 50 people. But I set out on the journey to be an associate pastor. I showed up at this church. How many of you remember the churches with green carpeting? Raise your hand. Somebody thought that was a good idea. 
idea, bad idea, uh, other than the fact the baby could throw up and it just kind of blended in uh, to the whole place. But he, I said, Austin, what am I going to be doing? He said, I need you to be the minister of music, youth, education, Sunday school, basically everything except preaching. And I said, I'm, I'm all over it. And so I would wear my suit. How many of you remember the days we wore suits to church? How many of you want that back? Let's go back. No, anyway, don't, don't raise your hand. Uh, nobody raised their hand. Good. And so I, uh, I remember gripping that pulpit with that hymnal and, and leading that 50-member church. And I remember, I remember singing and just having a great time. I remember one lady came up to me one Sunday, and she said, you know what this church is missing? I said, what's that? She said, an organ. We had a piano on this side and a big empty space over here. How many of you remember? I don't know why the piano and the organ could never get along, but we always had to separate them <laughs> in these small churches. And so she bought the church an organ, and what I didn't realize was she came with the organ. <laughs> and I'll never forget the first Sunday leading out when we had our brand new organ. Piano player would start us off, and here we would go, off to the races we went. Victory in Jesus. And this is all we heard. Bum, bum. <laughs> My Savior forever. Bum, bum. And we're all like, do we stop? Do, do, we, do, do we just plow on ahead? And how many of you do not know music? You can't read music. You can't teach anybody music. Raise your hand. That's me. And I'm the minister of music. <laughs> but how many of you who don't know music know bad? <laughs> yeah, I know when it doesn't sound good. And I don't know how to fix it other than to point out that it's bad. Well, on this uh, pulpit, we also at that time had the thrones. How many of you, remember, many of you remember, remember the thrones? The throne, throne, throne. Multiple thrones. When you sat down, remember, you never really knew how to sit in them because... You know, they went a foot and a half over your head, and they were padded green as well. And the pastor gets up in the middle. The whole song, at the end of every line, my Savior forever, bump, bump. And it was loud. It was aggressive. It stopped everything. Austin, 26 at the time, all right, senior pastor, walks over to me in the middle of the song while I'm trying to lead and whispers in my ear, you need to do something about that. So here I am, 22 years old as a pastor, having my first confrontational meeting with a member. And I go up to this sweet 80-year-old lady afterwards, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Have you ever played the organ? Do you know how to play it? Uh, she, we'd be more than happy to like, get lessons. No, you don't understand. The organ pastor is just about flow. There was no flow going on there. I... I don't know what to tell you. And I had to have this confrontational meeting. And guess what? And I'm sure you know where this story's going. She left mad. She left mad, which now meant we were down to 49 members. <laughs> and I just remember at 22 and now 17 years later, as I look back over 17 years in church ministry and then, you know, 22 years before that, growing up in the church, and I, I just, I kind of look at the messiness of the church. I look at what gets the church in trouble. I look at what caused conflict and all those Wednesday night meetings where we had 100 people show up for prayer meeting at 7 and 300 people show up for the business meeting that followed, those were good days. Those were good days. And I look at all of that and I'm like, what? Why, why do some churches do real well and grow and it just seems like the Lord is blessing their ministry and other churches 
are kind of like a train wreck. Like, it, 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 it just, it's, it's bad. And I remember that Southside Baptist Church was great. In the first year, we grew to about 250. And most of these people, brand new, placing faith in Jesus. I called Austin Deloach, was kind of like your pastor, but Austin was the Billy Graham of South Georgia. And I mean, excellent communicator, excellent evangelist and Bible teacher, and people place faith in Jesus. And we saw the church grow, and we saw the Lord bless the church, but here's where we... We had to keep the order and the structure intact. And here's the very first thing, and this is what we're gonna see as we look through verses four through 10 of 1 Peter chapter two. God is the builder. Jesus is the cornerstone. We are the workers. And all God's people said, as soon as you begin to mess with that, you're headed for a train wreck. Because what happens is, and I, and I as a pastor can develop this attitude of entitlement. Look what I did. Look what is being built. Any moment a pastor begins to move out of this order and begins to think, I'm the builder, we're headed for a train wreck. Anytime a volunteer begins to think, I'm not getting enough appreciation, they don't know what I'm doing around here, if I were to leave, or maybe even a staff member, this whole thing's gonna fall apart. Guess what happens? You're headed for a train wreck. And we're gonna see today, and Peter does a beautiful job explaining who the builder is, and that he chose and laid Jesus as the cornerstone, and you and I, we're gonna talk a lot about this today, we are the workers. Let's pick it up in verse four of chapter two. As you come to him, him being Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, if I ever start a band, this is the name of my band right here, Living Stones. For short, we're just gonna call ourselves The Stones. Isn't that good? That's a good, how many of you think that's a good band name? Let me see your hand. I think that's a good band name. And I love this right here because it's gonna see what we're a part of and what we're supposed to do. And this is where we're gonna spend most of our time this morning. Living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So placing faith in Jesus makes us part of a family. This spiritual house is being built and our responsibility is that of priest. And we'll spend some time there in just a moment. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, and now this is one of Peter's passions as an apostle, as a preacher. We read this in Acts chapter two, verses one through 41, the very first sermon of the New Testament church, when he's trying to explain the event at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the 120. He preaches the very first sermon and to explain what's happening there, he goes straight to the Bible. There he quotes Joel. Here he's gonna quote Isaiah and a psalm. He says this, for in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. In other words, there's some choices we need to make with this cornerstone. And the first choice is that we would choose to build our lives upon the cornerstone. I wanna build my marriage on the cornerstone. I wanna build my family on the cornerstone. I want my job to be built on the cornerstone. I want the church and to be part of a church that is being built on the cornerstone of Jesus. Never be put to shame. 
when your life is built upon Jesus. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious also. You've made that decision. You've placed faith in Jesus. He is your cornerstone. He is the one that you're building everything on. But to those who do not believe, very important to understand the language here. Do not believe here does not mean ignorance of the gospel. What it means is a rejection of the gospel. It says, to those who do not believe, and now he's gonna quote Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, in ancient building practices, the cornerstone was critical, okay? The, the way that that stone was chosen, the way it was laid, was so important because all of the building, the walls of the building were oriented to that stone. The unity of the walls had to do with the stone. The strength of the walls had to do with the stone. That's why builders would reject stones. They spent a lot of time picking the perfect cornerstone, and God picked the perfect cornerstone in Jesus. The church is built on Jesus. It's become the cornerstone, and then he quotes Isaiah 8, 14, and a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. In other words, if you make the decision not to build your life on Jesus, you're going to stumble over him because the fact is there is no escaping the cornerstone. You either build your life on him or you reject him and stumble over him. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. God is the builder. He lays Jesus as the cornerstone. You and I are workers. We're living stones in the church, building our lives and watching the church being built on Jesus with us as the workers. Do we have any masons in the house? Like you lay brick and stone for a living in Tulsa. We, there's gotta be a few. In the first service, we had one. I spent two summers in college working for a brick and stone mason. It was the absolute hardest job of my life. It kept me in college. It was, it was so exhausting. I would go home at night, lay down, and be like, that job is exhausting. Ray St. John, he was a retired missionary from Liberia, West Africa. He came back to the States. That was his trade, and he just got busy and... He hired me, so it was Ray and Ted Cunningham, two summers in a row. And I'll remember, I always remember driving down the road in the truck on the way to the job site, Ray would always remind me, listen, Ted, the only way we're making money is if I'm putting bricks on the wall. We don't make money mixing mortar. We don't make money building scaffolding. We bid these jobs out by the square foot. He said, so here's the bottom line. I never will stop laying bricks and stones. You've got to stay busy as the worker. And I can remember getting there, mixing the mortar, getting it up there on his mortar board. He always wanted plenty of bricks. And I mean, this guy was fast. I mean, he could do these bricks like, like nobody I've ever seen. When we would go two and three stories, I added to my job the building of scaffolding, which which he would not stop to help with any of this. To get bricks up to the third level, you, had, you took a set of tongs and you reached down and you picked up 10 bricks at a time, you put it on a hook, you took a rope up with this pulley, and at the top you would think, hey Ray, you're right there. <laughs> Just reach over and grab the tongs and set the bricks down next to you. We'll do this a lot faster. I'd say, Ray, you want it, the first time I did, you want to grab those? No, just tie it off. Climb up here, do it, and you climb back, it don't take a couple minutes. <sighs> up to the top, and I would always <sighs> back down. And, and every now and then, I'd be mixing mortar, he'd yell down to me, you're welcome. For what? 
why, why should I be grateful for you? He goes, well, I bought you a mixer. You bought me a mixer? He goes, yeah, we used in the old days to do that by hand, but you're welcome. <laughs> Saving you some time. And there were times, because I was 19 years old, right? And how are most 19-year-old manual laborers? We're entitled punks. As I'm working, I'm thinking to myself, this man is ungrateful. I need a few more pats on the back. I even got to a point where I thought, how about I slow the pace down? See what happens there. You know what happens there? Yeah, <laughs> you're fired. I'll find somebody new. I mean, I really, I would go home at night and be like, man, that guy, he doesn't understand how important I am. I'm important. And then there was one time I could sense that Ray knew I was entitled. And he said, hey, why don't you come up here? And he would also say this, because he was a very gracious man. He gave me, you know, he took two breaks each day and a lunch, which gave me time to catch up, um, <laughs> you know, for when he got up. He's a very gracious man. And uh, he, would, he would say, why don't you come up here and lay a few bricks? I'd be like, yeah, I'll show him. Yeah, I can do it. I've been watching him all summer do it. I, I, I could not lay a brick. I, I, just, I just couldn't. But I just remember developing the attitude of entitlement as a worker towards the builder of Ray. And I'm just wondering in the church today how many of us as workers, let me tell you, I think it impacts every single person who serves for any period of time in the church. Boy, look at what's getting done because of me. Isn't this great? The church been going for 2,000 years strong, but now I'm here. <laughs> I know Jesus told Peter the gates of Hades won't prevail against it, but I'm here now. I'll be able to keep it going for a little while longer. And I, I get, a lot of times as pastors, we preach how important you are, we need you, you have to volunteer, you have to serve. The church is a family, we're a body, we go through all the word pictures, come on, get in, work hard, and it's so important. And, but I think the other side of that message and what we need to be reminded of here is we're being built into a spiritual house. It's something God is doing. And you and I, we are royal priests. This is where we kind of, Shift gears now to what does it mean to be a priest? In the Old Testament priesthood, the priests had direct access to God. And at appointed times throughout the year, they would, they would go into the Holy of Holies and they would communicate to God on behalf of the people. Number two, they represented the people to God. They brought offerings on behalf of the people to God. And, and, and as we, re, we understand now the New Testament church, you and I are the priest. The scripture here says twice. We're a, a holy priesthood in verse five, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Read verses nine and 10 with me. But you are a chosen people, a, a people with a common heritage. So the church isn't something that got started 50 years ago. We have a common heritage heritage, a, a royal priesthood, we'll come back to that, a holy nation, we, we share customs and beliefs and mutual interest as a family, God's special possession, meaning we belong to God, the builder, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, once you were not a people, I love that, we're a people today because of the builder, because of the work of Jesus. 
You were not together. You did not have a spiritual family. You were not a spiritual house. But because of the goodness of Jesus, you do have a family and you are part of a people, a people belonging to God's, God's special possession. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here's the big last point. Through Jesus, we have direct access to God and we are living sacrifices to him and for him. Uh, one of my parenting styles that I'm working on right now in our home is called Therefore Parenting. I love it because when you read First Peter, I, I love therefores in the Bible. Therefore means because of this or for this reason. And preceding a, a therefore, you get deep doctrinal truth. And then you get the therefore. This is now how you live. Probably the most popular or famous therefore in the scripture is Romans chapter 12. After Paul communicates deep doctrinal truth, we get Romans 12, 1. Therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice. We get a, a great therefore in 1 Peter as well. We've been chosen, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. We read this great doctrinal truth in 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12, and then in verse 13, we get a therefore. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. In the King James, it's gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready. Be holy like your Father is holy. Be a living stone. Live out the, the responsibilities of a royal priest. And so here's how I've tr I'm trying, and I'm not perfect at this by no stretch of the imagination. I'm trying to incorporate therefore parenting into our home. And give you an example. Carson, how much does your dad love you? Dad, you love me a lot. Oh, no, no, show me with your arms. How much do I love you? Dad, you love me this way. No, your arms aren't enough. Run from one side of the house to the other. As high, jump up. You can't explain, Dad. I know, Dad, you love me. Okay. What can, I, what can you do to keep me from loving you? Dad, there's nothing you can do. Well, come up with something. What could you do that could keep me from loving you? Dad, I know. What prison? How about that? You go to prison. Will I stop loving you? No, Dad, you'll never stop loving me. That's right. I'll never stop loving you. Carson, if we're walking down the sidewalk and a car jumps the curb and he's headed right towards us, what's going to happen at that moment? I know, Dad, you're going to pick me up and throw me in the air. <laughs> and you're going to take the hit. That's right. I'm going to throw you out of the way and I'm going to absorb the impact of that. Therefore, go clean your room. Do you see the impact of therefore parenting compared to because I said so parenting? This is what your father gives you in the scripture. Here's what Jesus did for you. Therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Because of his great mercy, guess what Jesus did? He threw you in the air and took the hit. Therefore, you're being built into a spiritual house be the worker who's grateful. Be the priest who offers spiritual sacrifices. You understand, believer in Christ Jesus, if you place faith in Jesus, you have direct access to God. Do you believe that? If you believe that, say amen. Okay. I, I don't know how many believers live that, though. Let me show you a picture, and just I want to see how it hits you. When you first see this picture, what's your immediate reaction? Let's see it. 
Let it sit up there for just a second. What does that do when you walk into an airport? All the businessmen are like, oh, I love that sign. <laughs> but here's what happens. We're sitting there. We see that sign. Look, at, I mean, General Borders, you don't even get a logo. <laughs> do you see the red mat there on the left? That's so their feet do not get soiled as they walk on the plane. Have you ever been there when it's time to board? And everybody's, you know, huddled around the lady, and it's like, okay, wait, here's the thing. We all know there's access. We're all getting on the plane. But they're special people. Okay, and it goes something like this. Okay, we're going to begin boarding for flight 1085 to DFW. We'd like to start with our executive platinum, platinum gold, diamond. Basically all the successful people, if you would make your way <laughs> to the front right now. All you, the rest of you unwashed masses, you stay seated. <laughs> you and your livestock, you just sit there. Make sure you don't touch. I actually, I had a pastor tell me, Ted, it was the most awkward thing. I was at the airport, and they only had one lane. And I know you executive platinums hate that when there's only one lane, and we have to go down the same lane. I'm sorry. <laughs> you zone five people. But the lady was so preoccupied by this, everybody came down, right? And don't you love it when it's time for this lane to be closed because all the special people are gone, they close it off like no one else enter right here. General boarding. Yeah, all rows, all seats. Whoever wants to get on, go ahead and get on the plane right now, right? <laughs> well, she was so preoccupied and there was only one lane, they started general boarding a little quicker than she was prepared for. She stopped everybody. True story, this pastor tells me. They stopped everyone. They backed them off the red carpet and she rolled it up and moved it aside. Go ahead. Come on, you chicken people. Come on. Let's get you. <gasps> Can you believe that? So, have you ever been zone five? You know, zone five. And, and there's an unwritten code in first class you don't make eye contact with zone five. You said right, you know what I like to do? Oh, I love doing this. I like to get Starbucks right before I go on the plane. And just as I walk by, a little, little splash off as I go by. <laughs> now that's fun. I don't care who you are. <laughs> but you know what? In the church, people go, I believe we all have access. However, I don't have the access of Alex Amaya. He's a pastor. He has special access. He has priority access, right? He can have a chiropractor visit him back in the, the back before a service. I mean, he, I mean, he's a special person, right? This is what we think. Billy Graham, he's super special. This is why, have you ever been to a party and the food's gonna be served and the host and hostess, and I get this can be honor and respect, but I'm ready to break this tradition. The food's getting ready to be served, and automatically, what do you hear? Oh, good. We have a pastor here right now. He can pray. Because we all know pastors have better prayers with better connection to God. And, and this usually, I, I just, I want to break this because guess what? You know how to pray? Pray. This just drives me insane. Like, oh, he's here. He's here. The pastor's here. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. Oh, the pastor's not here. Hickson, why don't you go ahead and pray? 
sorry everybody, but Hickson's gonna pray because we couldn't find the man. Are you getting this? Every single, every single believer, if you placed faith in Jesus, you have priority access. Priority access. This means when someone gets sick in this church, we don't need the, is he here? Is he here? No, you don't need a pastor. You know what you need? A priest. Some of you are like, tweet that. How about that right now? Some of you are like, you just heard it. It's Battle Creek. We don't need a pastor. We need a priest. But you don't understand what I mean. You need a believer in Jesus gathered around you. I, there's nothing greater as a pastor than to show up to the hospital. And, and, and the first thought is, I don't even need to be here. Because I can't even get in the room because there are priests surrounding that person. And who are the priests? They're those who are in the spiritual house that's being built. They're, they're followers of Christ within the church. And this is you. You're a worker. I'm a worker. Right, so, so we have direct access, but now let me talk to you a little bit about the quality of the sacrifice. Because in Malachi chapter one, we don't have time to turn there, but in verses six through 14, what happened with the sacrifices being brought in that passage? They were, they were poor sacrifices. Instead of going out to the fold and finding the unblemished lamb, the perfect one, what were they doing? They were going out and looking for the diseased, crippled lamb leaning up against the fence with two to three weeks to live. And they were saying, let's, let's take that one. They'd bring it in, and you know what the Lord called it? Contempt. He says, it's not your best. You know what he said? Let's shut this thing down all together. Just shut it down, because you wouldn't bring that to your civic leaders. Why are you gonna bring that to me? Right, so, so we're priests bringing sacrifices, but now let me ask you about the quality of the sacrifice. Are we bringing our best as workers in this spiritual house? Last year I was at a highly charismatic church out east uh, doing a marriage conference and, and on the front row I was sitting next to the sweet 80 year old lady and we were just chair to chair right there beside each other and when worship started I mean she was getting down she was so into it I mean and it started off you know with just a little bit of movement but then I mean by the second song she was full blown <laughs> She was dancing, and so she's going, and I'm doing my Baptist worship. <laughs> Don't judge me, because this is you. You know? And then when, when they say, when I love when you tell Baptists to raise their hands. <laughs> right? So I just, I, I'm sitting there, and I mean, she's getting into it, right? And in the, by, by the third or fourth song, she now wants to participate with me. And so she's getting into it, and all of a sudden, she starts rubbing my arm. And I mean, I'm like, woman, would you stand still? I'm trying to worship. I mean, and so the whole, I mean, she was so into this. We sit down, it's time to take an offering. And she sits down, and she's excited about every single aspect of this service. She reaches down and she grabs her purse. Actually, she was 80. So she grabbed her purse and she set it up on her lap. She reached down through the Kleenex and the ham sandwiches and she pulled out an offering envelope. And I had no idea that I was about to get the primary lesson of the morning. And she goes, look at this. 
And she had decorated every square inch of that envelope, <laughs> front and back. There were stickers, <laughs> there was coloring, there were verses, and there were prayers. And the amount was not large. But my first immediate reaction was, this woman prepared. She's bringing her best. And some of you are like, what's the point of this story? Do you want us to start decorating our offering envelopes? <laughs> no. But let me ask you. Because some of you, you grew up like I did. I was taught to tithe. Grew up in a home. Dad made it. It was very simple. This was the Cunningham family plan before Dave Ramsey ever hit the scene. You earn, you give, you save, and then you spend. And my dad was always a big believer against spending. We don't spend. <laughs> That's just, I have to add that because we do have to eat and stuff like that. But other than that, try not to spend any money. So I, for 30 plus years, have been a tither. And then offering and missions and all. I know how all that works, but let me tell you, for the 12 months prior to that offering envelope, my gift was the exact same. And here was the preparation of my offering each week. Amy, have you seen the checkbook? You know, and off we go. And I thought, Lord, this woman, the sacrifice of, of giving, the preparing she went through, she, she's giving it all in everything. She's gave her all in worship, brought her best. And now in giving, she's bringing her Best. Let me ask you, are you bringing your best? I'm not just talking about giving. I'm talking about in all areas of your life and practice as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a worker. Because you have priority access to Almighty God. You get to everything you do within this spiritual house, within the believers here at the church at Battle Creek and at Midtown. I want you to understand something very clearly. You, you are a worker. I am a worker and when we get that out of order, oh, please, please, let me encourage you. That's when the train wreck happens. So we want to stay with the attitude of gratefulness that, Father, thank you for letting me be a part of this. And I commit to you to bring my best. To share with a few people as we close out, I just want to, I want to talk to leaders briefly, and this is real quick, leaders. Um, right now, just take a, if you lead in any capacity within the church, just take a deep breath. And guess what? You've just removed from your shoulders the mantle of building. It's no longer your responsibility. So when that churchleaders.com email hits your inbox and you get 14 reasons you shouldn't be doing this, seven things never to say from the pulpit, eight ways to take an offering, which total, totally stresses me out, you just back off and you're like, Lord, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna serve in my spiritual giftedness, what I'm called to do in the role that I've been placed in. I'm gonna do it with 100% excellence and I'm gonna do it with gratefulness because I love being a part of the movement of the church and what you're building. To traditionalists, let me just tell you, the key here is living stones. We're not trying to create a, a church of the 1950s. We don't want to stay in the 1950s. We want to continue to be part of something that God is, is changing and moving forward and has been for the past 2,000 years. How about to haters? This one just wears me out because of the internet and social media. We think we can say whatever we want, whenever we want. We can bash the church. We can bash pastors. If you're by chance in here today and you would fit in this group of hater. I just want to give you a practical application of the message today. Say whatever you want, 
bash however hard you want, but guess what? You will not keep the church from being built. You can't stop it with your words. So my encouragement to you is to repent. Repent and get on board with the movement of the church. You're visiting Battle Creek and you've been visiting Battle Creek or Midtown for the last year or two, and maybe you're here on break, you're resting. You were burned at another church, you got your feelings hurt by another pastor or maybe a staff member, and you're needing time to heal. Here's what we're gonna say. Welcome, and then welcome back. It's time to roll up your sleeves and get busy. It's time to get to work. And closing with this, a special thank you and a blessing to all of you who are faithful workers and grateful workers and you're serving the church. Okay, and every now and then you may go out in the parking lot after a busy weekend and rest your head against the headrest and think to yourself, is this worth it? I'm one, this comes from the heart of a pastor who loves you. Yes. 100% keep at it. Don't quit. Pray with me this morning. Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we are grateful for what you are doing here. Bless the church at Battle Creek in Midtown. Use this church in a mighty way that we would never get out of order that the fact you are the builder, you've laid Jesus as the cornerstone and that we are workers choosing to build our marriages, our families, our lives and to be a part of the church that is being built upon the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We are living stones. And it is in the mighty name of Jesus that everyone agreed and said,